you're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. So the teaching text comes from Psalms 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word, Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. You guys are awake and warm, not cold. I'm really cold. Please do not turn off the heat. We'll be all right. Um, what a treat. It's not every time that you preach that you get your wife to read the teaching text. So, uh, come on, you can do better for Tiffany. You know? um, good to be back. Quick thing, as you probably noticed, I am wearing a name tag. Uh, and this is because someone gave me the idea to wear a name tag because maybe I'm not, and I don't know all of you, you don't know me, some of you, so just to know. My name is Carlos, nice to meet you. And for those who actually know me, maybe there's something different. Uh, yeah, so um, there's, so I, you can reintroduce yourself, and we can reintroduce each other. It's okay, I'm still Carlos, I'm still the same person. Just the hair might look a little different. Just wanted to make that clear, nobody else would be. Anyways, good morning, church. We're going to dive into our teaching text today uh, and continuing the series that we're in called this Deconstructing Renovation. The whole point of deconstructing is also to 
reconstruct something, to renovate, build something on top of it. And we call it a journey through the Psalms. Um, and what is this series about? I'll, I'll, I'll invite you to listen back to the beginning of it. We're, this is our fourth Sunday in it. But Patrick introduced it a few Sundays ago uh, with Psalm 73. We gave us a good framework of, of where we're going. But basically, this is giving a healthy biblical framework of how to deal with pain, grief, sorrow, and many things that might be affecting all of us in this room and all the world around us. Um, last year, someone pointed out to me something that just really blew my mind, but just the idea of actually putting it into words, I'm like, wow, thank you for actually saying that. It kind of gives me a... Someone pointed out that like in the year of 2020, if you just take the year of 2020, from January to December, we pretty much lived 100 years of social grief and distress in one year. We had all the things that pretty much happened in the year of 1900, like 1900 to 2000, yeah, the 100 years. Because literally it was from pandemic, which we're still going through, there was political distress. We had second civil rights movement. We had economic distress and still going on. So just to put it into a framework, we're like, oh my God, that is a lot. And as individuals and as people, as community, we're still processing it. And maybe we just started in, in different errors in the journey, but we're still going through it. So it's important that in a life, in community, and in, in our journey with God to be like, how, how can I make sense of things? And this is part of it. This is part of this journey. And that's why this teaching series is honestly so pivotal. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but uh, regardless of where you're at, it's, it's important to have a frame. So that's, that's where we're going with it. So Patrick introduced it a few Sundays ago. Uh, we went through that intro, we went through like deconstruction of beliefs, which is like, what are the things that I actually believe, what I thought I believed, and, and all that, just giving a framework to how to deal with it. Ryan walked us through Psalm 88 last Sunday, which is deeply a psalm of grief. Psalm of like, God, I don't understand what's happening, and I'm just questioning it. I'm, I'm questioning what's going on inside of me, outside of me. Uh, and today, we're continuing that journey, continuing that trajectory, uh, and doing it together. Wherever we are, uh, we, we get back to it. So why going through the Psalms? And the Psalms is actually really helpful to give us a good framework for all of this. We're joining together through the Psalms. Uh, and Psalms are poems. So like, why poems? Then like, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, I have this quote from Dan Allender when he talks about the Psalms, and I felt like it just framed perfectly how to put this into words, much better than what I could ever do. And he says, perhaps no section of scripture more poignantly exposes the inner word of our heart and more vividly reveals the emotional life of God than the Psalms. And he says that it's specifically because the Psalms are poetry. For those who do not love poetry in the room, I get it, but dive into it. You're going to love it. Uh, and he says that because they are poetry, and he says, he continues, poetry reaches the realm beyond the word of sight and sound. 
to reveal what our senses long to see and hear. It is the language not so much of the sublime, but of the real, like the truly real, a reality that cannot be grasped through scientific or theoretical precision. And he says, the theological propositions are necessary for understanding truth, but truth is ultimately relational, and relationship is the realm, is the domain of poetry. And he closed, poetry is God's invitation to a glimpse of the unseen, his very character. And that's what we're going to do today. We have a glimpse of God, a glimpse of the God's very character through Psalm 103. So remember that Psalms are a book of prayer of the Israelites, right? It's a collection of 150 Hebrew poems, songs, and prayers that come from all different periods of Israel's history. So I want you to think of it this way. Think of the Bible as an arch. I think I have a slide for that. Yes. Think of the Bible as an arch and written through all that period. Several different books, many different authors. And the Psalms are basically like inside that larger collection. Like also written through a span of different periods and times by many different authors. So it's almost like a mini Bible in that sense. But at some point in Israelites, after Israelites exiled from Babylon... These ancient poems, written through all these different times and periods, were intentionally organized and arranged in the way that we see in our Bibles today. And when I say intentionally organized and arranged, I mean like really intentionally organized and arranged, like exactly that. It was a very unique design and message. It was like divided into five different books inside of it, uh, and intentionally organized to, again, retell that story. You know, kind of copy the five books of Moses, the Torah, and all that. Uh, and, but basically, in essence, it's, it's an aid to God's people to strive to be faithful, to keep God's teaching, hoping and waiting for the renewal of all things, right? And here's the main thing about the book of Psalms that is important for our teaching text today. Here's the main thing about the book of Psalms and the way it's organized that we might miss it if we actually don't read it in order, just so you understand how intentionally it was organized. The 150 Psalms pretty much fall into, loosely, fall into two big categories, lament and praise. And lament are poems or psalms that express pain, confusion, anger, grief, you know, as we were exposed to last week. And they expose our brokenness and they expose the brokenness around us. And usually they cry out to God to do something about it. And there's a lot already in there. There's a lot of psalms of lament in the Bible. Like my Kiwi friends have heaps of it. Um, but that also teaches something very important about lament. That lament is an appropriate response to the evil that we see and face in our world. Like lament is important to make sense of things. If we don't lament, then we just continue to plow through it and continue to just absorb and not make sense of things. Lament is important to process. And then there's the other category, which is praise, right? Which is psalms that express joy and celebration. And in contrast, they expose what is good in the world and in creation. And they tell stories about God and tell stories about the thing He's done in us, through us, and around us. And they express gratitude for it. So those are the main two buckets. Now, if you read the book of Psalms in order, this is the interesting thing, you will notice that the first half of the book, there's the balance weighs a bit more on the lament side, with occasionally some psalms of praise in it. 
And then as you pass kind of like the halfway mark, the second half of the Psalms, it's the balance weighs more on the praise side. It literally ends with five, you know, Psalms that are like hallelujah, hallelujah, like praise and shout. Like it ends there. Yes. And that is important because there's a shift that happens. And this shift is important because we need to understand how profound it is. Because it tells us something about the nature of prayer. And it tells us something about the story of the scriptures. Because as we look towards Jesus and the future that lies ahead, the restoration of all creation, it's also exposed the tension that we live in now. As we look around us and we look inside and like, what is going on? That is the tension that we live and we're called to live in until that time comes. So this simple but very intentional organization of the Psalms teaches not to ignore the pain, not to ignore the suffering in our lives or the world around us, but to constantly remember and rely on the promises of God who is faithful, true, and that we can persevere in hope. So why is this important for us today? Why is it important in our teaching text today? Because this also marks a shift on our, the arch of our teaching series. Our teaching text falls in Psalm 103. So if you're tracking, it's a little bit after the halfway mark in the chronology of the book. So that means that, yeah, it falls a bit more on the praise side and the lament side of things. And the shift in our teaching series, because if the whole heart of this series is to give a healthy, helpful framework to go through grief, pain, and suffering, and disappointment, and doubt, you name it. It means that to go through all these things, that all these complex emotions and feelings, that means that at some point we, we hit a bottom. At some point that I was like, I'm, I'm done. And that's kind of like the point that we hit last week. You know, Psalm, I'm not saying that Psalm 88 is the one, but like Psalm 88 as Ryan preached last week, man, it's like the darkest moment in the plot. This is like, I, I just can't. I'm done. I'm done. And it's in that moment, that darkest moment of the plot, that we can discover who was already there. That we can meet God there. And not only we're certain to meet him there, but it's also that moment and that place that we don't really dare to go, but that place that we are already ready and open and vulnerable and undone. Is that actually the moment that we're right and perfect to hear God's truth, the truth about who he is. I remember talking about truth, that quote earlier from Dan Island. I'm not talking about a truth that you can understand in your head. I'm not, about, I'm not talking about an intellectual cognitive thing that I'm telling you something factual. I'm talking about a person. I'm talking about a relational truth. A God that is with you. A God who is who he says he is. The great I am. And it's in that moment that he can exchange my pain for his joy. My lies for his truth. And all my suffering and disappointment for his peace. So as we journey through the Psalms and our sorrows together, we just bring all this to God in brutal honesty. Because that's the key. Honesty. And that's where we find the truth of God. What we're talking today and what our Psalm reviews today. 
So let's dive into it. There are many, many, many characteristics and attributes of God to highlight just in the psalm alone, but literally we'll spend eternity here. But, and we just did a whole teaching series about the names of God. Do you remember that a few months ago? And it still wasn't enough. But I just wanted to highlight four specific ones here that our psalm points out that I believe would give us this you know, healthy and, and understanding of, of who God is through our psalm. So I, but I, I encourage you, I urge you to not stop there because there's always going to be more of God to know than what we can ever cover in 30 minutes on a Sunday. But here's, so let's go for it. This is, this is what I, I tried to get and see like, okay, this is, I think this would be a helpful way to explain. But this is what I tried to put together for the, uh, Psalm 1 and 3. There's, God is a compassionate, righteous, and faithful, loving parent. But the way I want you to read this, it's kind of like he's a compassionate, loving parent. He's a righteous, loving parent. And he's a faithful, loving parent. I'm obviously emphasizing the loving parent here, so I just want you to know that. Um, so let's start with the obvious one. That is the one that I'm overemphasizing. Uh, God as a loving parent pretty much permeates the entirety of the psalm and the entirety of the scriptures if you read through it. Because um, it's all about everything that forms all other attributes and characteristics of God like really hang on this, which is his love. And the word that this kind of love describes here, the word that is used in Hebrew is chesed. And it's used over and over again in our psalm. And chesed is like a, a challenging word to translate because it combines different ideas together. It combines the idea of love, generosity, and an enduring commitment. And if you were to do like a word study to find out like it's, it's been translated at, at several different things. It's something like mercy or loving kindness or unfailing steadfast love, loyal love, or even goodness. So again, it's like, wow, it's a, it's a spans over there. But ultimately, what it's trying to describe is this unquestionable loyalty and a commitment that is motivated by like a deep personal care, like parents who have for their children. And, and it's concrete, like action-taking love. Like it's the difference between saying the words, I love you, and actually acting on it like honor your commitment to the other person by serving them remember generosity is a big piece of this one so read in verse 8 the lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in love and in the very next verse we can see ways that god exercises this kind of chesed love and parenting by forgiving our transgressions like verse 9 like he will not always accuse. He will not always harbor, he will not harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. It's like this willingness to forgive the sins of his people. Oh, man, if you read through the scriptures, like, Israelites, what are you doing? Like, over and over again. And then he reads me as like, Carlos, what are you doing? He's like, exactly. But this willingness to forgive the sins of his people, this willingness to forgive his children. And this image of God's love spanning, like, spanning impossible distances, right? 
it reminded me of, uh, I don't remember what Marvel movie was it, but I know Iron Man was involved in it. And then it was his daughter, and he was putting her to bed, and he closed the door, and she's like, I love you 3,000. And he's like, wow, 3,000. And he goes later and brags to his wife, like, you were in the hundreds last week. I'm in the 3,000s. Like, for that little girl's imagination, like, 3,000 is the biggest number that she can think of. And that's how she wants to express her love to her. Like, I love you 3,000, you know. And, and in our psalm, is like, the psalm is like, listen, God's love spans from, like, the east to the west, from the sunrise to sunset. Like, I cannot think of a distance longer than that. And I don't even count it. So it's, it's, it's kind of like that. It's, it's higher and wider than we can fathom. Even when we imagine the greatest heights and widths within all creation, like still, it's not enough. The extent of his forgiveness for us is simply unreachable. And that is because he knows us. He knows who we are. See verse 14. For he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. Like the life of us mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. And then the wind blows over and it's gone. Like its place remembers it no more. It's quick. It's from dust we are and from dust we shall return, right? Like this is pulling straight from Genesis 1, straight from creation. Like he is the God of the universe who made all things, all things including you and me in his image. And from dust, he breathed life into us. And he created us to be in communion with him. So to live and have our being only and only through him. Because without him, we're nothing. We're simply dust, right? And life is not life apart from God. And he knows that. So in verse 4, we can read this. Because he's the one who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you. With love and compassion. So let me just pause for a second here. Like, I'm looking into your eyes right now, looking across the room. Are you getting this? Because these words I'm speaking to you are not just mere words. These words who speak to the depths of our soul, to our inmost being. That in the depths of our despair, in the depths of our doubt... Anxiety, pain, numbness. These words are life. Knowing the truth about God, knowing the truth of who He is. And it's life giving. He has the power to change everything. So I just pause and take a deep breath because if you're here today and you're zoning out, I totally get it. It's fine. But if there's one thing that you could hear, and I, you can't turn off for everything else I, I, I say, but I just want you to remember this one thing. He redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with love and compassion. He redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with love and compassion. So that's why we can call him a compassionate, loving parent. Moving on. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 are probably the most quoted or requoted verses in the Old Testament. And it's the very first time in the Bible ever that God himself 
describes what he's like. And that's huge. That's, that's very important. Like, and the first word he chooses is compassionate. That says a lot. Now, maybe for some of you, it might be a bit uncomfortable to think, like, well, God is an emotional being. Like, why am I feel like emotional? Maybe God shifts too much. Maybe he's a little moody. Or I don't know. Or dramatic. Like, I, I get that. But God is emotional in the best sense of the word emotional. He's emotional in the best ways. He's, he's consistent in his emotions. Like, like a good parent. Like, when God's children cry out, he responds. Like he feels a deep compassion for his people who are in pain. And he has real responses to it. So the word compassion in Hebrew is also related to the word womb, which conveys that emotion of nurture, right? Like that a mother would have for her vulnerable child. So this gives us a sense of that compassion that originates at the core of who we are. In this case, in the core of who God is. It's like a gut instinct. It's a real response to it. Something that we feel in our inner beings. We're reading verse 13. Like, as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. God is deeply moved. He is. And many times the scriptures we read in the gospel, like, Jesus was deeply moved with compassion. In Latin, compati, which is the Latin, I hope I'm saying it right. And I speak Portuguese, and I still don't know if I'm saying it right. But in Latin, where we derive the word compassion from, in English and in different languages, uh, it's a combination of two words. Pati, or pati, I don't know, uh, which means to suffer, and con, which means with. So compassion isn't only an emotion. It's something that motivates into action. It's that gut reaction that pulls you forward. It's the willingness to suffer with. It goes way beyond empathy. Like compassion is a deep feeling that compels someone to act for someone else's good. Compassion is the response God has when he hears the cry of his children. Much like a mother would respond to the cries of her children. God is a compassionate, loving parent. And it's that compassion that leads him into being a righteous, loving parent. Again, these things are very intertwined. So it's hard to kind of divide them because they're all talking about God. But follow through. His compassion leads him into his righteous love and parent. In verse 6 we read, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all of the oppressed. And then in verse 17 it's like, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. His righteousness is with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant to remember and obey his precepts. Righteousness in short is a very biblical word. But it basically alludes to being in right relationship, like putting things in order, right? And in God's case, it really is like it's deeply related to the word that we know as justice. Because God's justice stems from his loving compassion and mercy, as we just saw. So when God executes justice, it's not primarily punitive, although he's a God who deals with wickedness, sin, and evil in our world. But when God executes justice, it's primarily restorative. See, he is putting all things back into right relationship in a state of wholeness, in a state of completion, or, you know, also known as shalom. But he works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Because he's a God who loves the oppressed and the oppressor. Have you thought about that? And let's be honest. 
in God's view, I think we're all on both sides of the coin. We're all wounded people wounding others. But in the words of Psalm 103, the good news is that our deepest hurt, in our deepest hurt, we are met with a God who forgives all our sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your deep desires and good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Compassionate, loving parent. And finally, God is also a faithful, loving parent. Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. We don't have time to go into too much detail on this day, and I've alluded that um, a little bit, but Psalm 103 is basically a direct reflection to those two verses in Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, which is the passage that God shares who he is for the first time. He describes himself. But in that passage, there's like a tricky turn. Like in Exodus, there's a tricky turn where it says like, yeah, it goes from like God maintaining his love for thousands, forgiving weaknesses, rebellion, and sin. And it goes from that to like, he would not leave the guilty unpunished and punish the children of their children for the sin of their parents of the third and fourth generation. Like, what? Like, God, I, wow, okay, harsh. But the key thing is actually not to be caught up in the punishment side of things, but to actually realize that God is unchangeable, eternal, and faithful. And that he actually rules with stability and consistency which is really a good thing for all of us human creatures. And of course, as we already covered it, God seeks to forgive first and foremost. That's his heart of mercy. So that's how we continue to rule with stability and consistency. Have you ever read the book of Jonah? I, at some point in the summer, I'd love to take a deep dive with Jonah with you, probably. I'll chat with you later, Ryan. Just thinking of that. Uh, but... It's honestly, to me, one of the most fascinating books in the Bible. As a kid, I would, like, watch some cartoon that was talking about Jonah. And Jonah was this prophet that was sent to these people to, like, preach this message of repentance because God was going to send some punishment. And Jonah's, like, reluctant. So he goes into the belly of the whale, all that stuff. Eventually, Jonah does go, and the people repent. And it's beautiful. And that was the end of the cartoon. I never knew that the end of the story was actually a little different. So... Later in my life, reading through, I was like, so shocked. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Like, share, what, what's happening here, Jonah? The end of the book of Jonah, not to spoil it for you. It's only four chapters. I would love for you to go and read it. But the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah is really mad at God. He's like, he's livid. He's so angry. He's like furious. And he's mad because, because of God's consistent character. Like, he's deeply angry because he could do nothing to prevent God from showing compassion and mercy to those who turned to him. That was it. He was like, God, I knew. That's why I didn't want to go. Because I knew you were going to forgive him. And I knew. It was like, what? Anyways, I'm not going to spoil it with you. But it's like, how would you be met? God's consistent, 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 faithful and righteous God. And we can rest in that. We can rest in God's faithfulness and unchanging character. That he's faithful to his promises. That he's a God over all things. That nothing is out of his control. And that he has established his throne in the heavens. And he rules with justice. 
So from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation, his love is with those who fear him. So Oak Church, Brooklyn, regardless of where you're at in your journey of grief, regardless of where you're at with your disappointments or some deconstruction, put your hope in God. As we have learned, this does not mean that we're ignoring our pain, that we're ignoring the suffering or discomfort or the anger. But as a loving parent that he is, he knows exactly who we are and where we are. And he knows that sometimes it's not, it's the only way that we can really listen to him is when we're actually at the bottom of the pit. When we're actually, actually stripped away of any and every preconception that we would have about God, about us, any preconception that we have about God as like he's a mean parent or he's a punisher or he's just too busy for me, you know, or preconceptions about ourselves, which is something that we'll dive more into next Sunday. But most times, only when we're really stripped away of any of those things, there are truly barriers for us to listen to the truth about God and to the truth about ourselves. Only then is when we can clearly and most definitely allow God to speak His truth. And there's nothing, nothing like the hands of a great physician that heals all our wounds. There's nothing like the words of the author of life to restore our soul speaking the truth about who he is and putting things right in perspective. So would you close your eyes for a moment? I just want to invite the band back up. Um, Let's take a deep breath. Just kind of get centered. You can put both your feet in the ground if you want to just remember like, okay, I'm, I'm here. Present in this space. Don't worry about who's next to you or behind you. Just, just check in with yourself. And I just want you to hear these words. Not from me, but from Jesus. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and of his rule. Blessed are you when you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you. Because only then you can be fully embraced by the one who is most dear to you. Blessed are you when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment that you find yourself the proud owner of everything that cannot be bought. Blessed are you when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Because then you see God in the outside world. Blessed are you wherever you are, Oaks Church, Brooklyn. To be honest 
and open before God. God, I just want to ask you to speak your words right now. Not mine. I spoke everything you gave me to say. But it's not my words that go through people's hearts. It's your words. It's your Holy Spirit. So, Father, in ways that only you can do, just shower us with your love. Speak deep into our hearts and soul, God. Things that we long to know and hear. Things that restore, things that heal. Breathe life into the innermost being of our hearts, of our soul, God. Father, would you do what only you can do as we open ourselves up to you who you are. God, thank you for gracing us with your presence, with your love, with your mercy. God, I pray that you don't hold back. Just come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do among us. pray, God, that for every one of us who still feel like there's a barrier or something to hear, what we deeply long to hear but don't know how, God, would you start just showing us exactly what that is? What it is that is in between us and you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you break that barrier right now. And we'll be able to take a step closer to you, Jesus. Because you already took all the steps. You're already here. And you long to be with us way more than we long to be with you. So Father, come and don't delay. Love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.